This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Well, guys, I, uh, if you ask me for a good explanation of why I'm starting with this theme... It'd be hard for me to explain it. With a new crop of students, oftentimes you would think that I would want to cater to where the students are. But this is like a burden I have for the body of Christ, specifically for our church. And so at the same time, every one of us needs to grapple with these issues. It's how you live out Christianity. It's not how you enter Christianity. That's a whole genre of of preaching, of uh, showcasing the door and the way into the fullness of Christ. And then there's another dimension that comes out in the church when you're teaching the full council, and that is how you navigate the twists and turns and challenges of life. The way many of us have appropriated suffering is incorrect, and as a result, we really struggle in our Christianity. If you've ever been around a certain, uh, it's like a denominational flavoring, but it's also, it's just something you can gather. When you study uh, the, the word of, of scripture, you can come to the conclusion that God desires all men to be healed. I mean, I, I actually could give a great argument to defend that statement. You could say that God would desire all the effects of sin to be removed. Uh, you know, I could come up with some great statements on that. And yet, what we need to do when we establish our understanding of the Christian life is we cannot ignore the testimony of Scripture that also complements those statements to help us better understand how to navigate this journey. In other words, we don't ignore Scriptures because they make us uncomfortable. And for instance, some of you in here that have a tendency to be very attracted to the harder, more gritty version of Christianity, like, hey, I'm suffering. Good for you. Rejoice. Okay, that's more of the gritty side. I I tend to gravitate towards it. And then you have the other side, which is, hey, we should have no suffering. You need to pray, and if you don't have it, you don't have enough faith. If 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 you're still suffering, if you still have trials, if you still have these things, that must be a sign that you don't have enough faith. Whichever you know end of the spectrum you may lean towards, we need to strike the balance. Christ walks the balance. He lived a protected life. Do you know they tried to lay hands on him and they couldn't touch him? They tried to run him off a cliff. Guess what? He just walked through the crowd. What is this guy? He, they didn't actually take Jesus. He gave himself. Okay? And yet at the same time, he gave himself. And he suffered in his body. And he set forth a pattern. And we are supposed to be sharing in the fellowship of his suffering. So there's a complementary side to this truth. And so I'm going to kick off this time with you guys as far as a new semester. But also continue on with the local church in the understanding of how we navigate through some of the more challenging dimensions of the walk with Christ. And so I'm going to go straight into one of the hardest concepts to unpack in the Bible, which is Paul's thorn. Can you imagine I'm starting with that? One semester I started with speaking in tongues. That's actually how I started. 
<laughs> it was a great, great message. Uh, it was really fun to give. Uh, and uh, so I, I like to be a little daring, but it's not because I just desire to speak on this. This is the way I preach every week is I wait on God and I say, God, what's your burden? So this isn't even just, I won't even call this my burden. I want to say this is what I feel God is desiring us to talk about. The Man of Smashed Head, a study in spiritual thorns and how to leverage them. Introducing the Man of Smashed Head. That's not me. It's not Christ. Christ didn't have a smashed head. Uh, and you could say, that's, that's Lucifer. He got his head smashed, and you'd be correct. Uh, however, this is a specific uh, man in the Bible. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So when you are stoned, I mean, you could study stoning. Uh, it's not a very pleasant thing to study. Uh, you know, they still stone in the Middle East uh, to this day, and it's, it's a very unpleasant thing to, to research. I'll just say, say it that way. And so I'm not even going to tell you any of my research on that. Uh, very unpleasant. It's a, very, it's a form of torture uh, to death. It's an extreme version of dying. It is not an easy version of dying, which is why they do it. In other words, you made a mistake, this is a capital offense, and you're going to die by stoning. This isn't having pebbles thrown at your feet until you finally say, I need out of this earth. This is large, medium-sized rocks or boulders after you're knocked down, and they're not throwing them against your hand. They're throwing them against your head or your vitals. And so as a result, your body is being crushed, or for the sake of this message, smashed. And so what we have is Paul, who acknowledges multiple times in Scripture, he was stoned. I don't know how many of you have ever seen someone survive stoning. It is not actually something you survive. It is something you were stoned until death. And so we don't know. I mean, I've always hypothesized that Paul died and was resurrected. I think it just sounds better than the fact that he, you know, swooned and then came back. But either way, it makes no difference. There's nothing doctrinally that pertains to that. It's just that the guy, his head was smashed. If you had multiple heavy rocks, you know, thrown down on your skull, I don't know what you would look like afterwards, but it might not be pretty. We have a man here who, for all practical purposes, you know, we don't know his appearance, right, in the Bible, but in Christian history, you know that they actually describe Paul? They do. And so we actually hear descriptions of Paul in Christian history. He was a short man. He was bald. And he had a big Jewish nose. That's actually what it says. Now, I don't know. That's not canon. That's not scripture. It's just interesting. And so, uh, but the fact that this is one of the most powerful demonstrations, if not the most powerful outside of Christ, of what it means to have the Spirit of God indwell a body, is this man. His back had been lashed open with 39 lashes five times. That is extreme torture where the flesh of your body is completely ripped away. And to heal, it would be a mass of tissue. And then it had it happened again, and then it happened again, and then it happened again. This man was stoned. What this man went through, he says he bore in his body the marks of Christ. What this man carried in his body would probably be difficult for many of us. We don't know what Paul's thorn was. And so there's been various hypotheses of it, but it's all guesswork. And that seems to be on purpose in the Bible, by the way. I think God purposely held back what specifically Paul's physical impediment was, lest we say, oh, well, I don't have that, therefore that truth doesn't apply to me. But as long as it remains vague, well, it applies to all of us. In other words, if any of us have a thorn, well, then this is the truth for us. 
Paul the Apostle, I mean, most of us know who Paul the Apostle is, a big name in history. Then Saul, who was also called Paul. Now, for most of us, when we see that, it means very little. I mean, many of us have taken thought. We think that Jesus changed his name to, to Paul. Saul is a Hebrew name. And Paul seems to be a Greek enunciation of it. And it's interesting because they have very different meanings. Saul is like the name you want. You want to be a Saul. If you, if you study Saul in the Old Testament, now we oftentimes are thinking, Saul, boo. I mean, he made some big time mistakes, right? But this guy was the esteemed one. He's the one that all of Israel wanted. He stood head and shoulders above all of Israel. That's what it says. He was a giant in Israel. So if you looked at him, he was just like, just standing above them all. And what that name Saul means, I'll, I'll tell you in just a, a second. But Paul is not a complimentary name. Now, I'm not saying if any of you are named Paul that that's a put down. To us in Christianity, just like the word Christian is not a compliment. It's a, it's a slur if you want to say it that way. Well, so Paul is sort of in that category. I'll go into that. Shaul, or in the Greek, salos, is the word Saul. And it means the guy who is sought out, asked for, requested, desired, and picked. Hey, I want that guy as my king. Whoa, have you guys seen this one? That's who I want leading me. Saul is a great name. I mean, it is like the name of saying, I am esteemed above others. I am the one that God has chosen. I have been picked by the people. You see, Paul went from Saul to Paul. And Paul is not, doesn't have the same ring to it. Paulos, we know it as Paul. Small or little. That's what his name means. It's, it's like it would be the equivalent of shorty. So, a.k.a. Miniman. Tiny Wonder. Munchkin. It's, it's, in other words, it's like, hey, you're a little guy. You're no longer the tall, the guy that stands above them all, the tall guy that we all want. Now you're the rejected. You're the despised. You almost see it even in the name change. It's like this man went from being a premier leader in his country, a Pharisee of Pharisees, to being Paul. And I think oftentimes we miss that subtlety of what this man chose to bear in his body. That he willingly chose to give up position, honor, prestige. And he said, I choose to follow this Christ. Eyes wide open, I know what it will mean to my life. I understand the challenges that will come with it. Christianity. Relinquishing the Saul title and joyfully accepting the Paul label. Some of you may be lingering in here with a Saul title on your life. And you sort of like that. People esteem you. They think highly of you. The world around you has given the head nod. They said, that person has it. You see, that was Paul. And some of you have that, and you really like that, you relish it. I would say one of the most important things that could ever happen in your Christianity is you need to allow the Holy Spirit to put his finger on that. And say, would you be willing to give up the Saul title? I have another label I'd like you to, to wear. Now, ours isn't Paul, but it's Christian. That's what Christian is. Christian is the identification with Christ. And by the way, I don't know if you've studied our culture lately, but that isn't a cool thing. 
To identify with Christ is not the way you get ahead in our culture. If you want problems in our, in our culture, if you want challenges in getting jobs, if you want challenges in moving forward in position politically, governmentally of any kind, you don't want to associate with Jesus. Jesus is the surest way to have problems in your life. It's the surest way to find thorns in your side. I can tell you that. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day have I been in the deep. Now most of us have read through these things. We know Paul's list and we just sort of skip over it as quickly as we can. It's like, well, Paul, I'm glad I don't live in first century Christianity. I'm glad that's not the way it has to be for us in North America. Who told you that? In other words, where did it ever translate to you that Paul's life is somehow separate from the way that we are commissioned to live? I don't, I actually, when I read scripture, I see the exact opposite. What you've seen and heard in me do, says Paul. Uh, you, you, you actually think that we should follow Paul? He says, yeah, as I follow Christ. So I saw it in Christ, and so that's what I'm doing. And this is what I received. Well, I don't know how many of you are interested in that. I don't know how many of us would survive receiving 40 stripes minus one, one time. Could you imagine? It's like, oh, and people are like, what happened to you? Oh, I got, I got the stripes on 39 of them. I mean, could you imagine just surviving that in the first place? The reason they don't go to 40, I mean, first of all, it's, the law says that they're not allowed to go over 40. So the Jews would go to 39, lest, you know, they violate the law. And so it's 30, 39 stripes. Just getting that once would be enough to do most of us in to say, hey, I'm keeping my mouth shut from now on. I never want to go through that again. This guy didn't just get it five times. He was beaten with rods three times. Some of you are upset that you got spanked growing up. <laughs> and then to boot, I mean, this is just starting the list. Introducing Paul's temporary home. We're going to call it the land of thorns. Let me explain that. In Genesis 3, we sort of begin to unwrap and understand the place Paul lives, lived, and the place we live. Then to Adam he said, Cursed is the ground for your sake. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Well, that's encouraging. So Adam blew it. And there's, there's two in Scripture. We see it all throughout. Just like there's two covenants. We see the old covenant and the new. We see the first Adam and we see a last Adam. And so the first Adam failed. And he rebelled. He disobeyed the word of God. And God made it clear, the day in which you eat of that tree, you will surely die. It's called the law of sin and death. You sin, you die. Adam sinned. He died. And yet, here's what most of us don't understand, is we are in Adam when he does that. Genetically, her hereditarily, we were in Adam. And I know that might seem strange, but just like every oak tree came from another oak tree. You came from Adam. And so you are related to Adam whether you like it or not. You can't get the stick off you, the, the smell off you. He's, he's just on you. You are in Adam. And that's our problem. Because he sinned, he dies. He sinned, you die. Whoa. Yeah, that's how we're born. We're stuck. We're in Adam. We're, in, we're sharing his just condemnation. 
And so when Adam sinned, this ground was cursed. This earth in which we live was cursed. And it brings forth thorns and thistles. And those thorns have created many problems for us in our lives. And most of us just want the thorns gone. We do not want to live in a land of thorns. We want a new heaven and a new earth. And yet, we don't have that yet. It's promised, but we don't yet have it. We have something very special in the shed blood of Jesus. But we don't yet have a new heaven and a new earth. We have a land of thorns that we live in. We need to understand that as Christians. It's very, very important. So Paul understood thorns. That's why he writes about it. Second Corinthians is a, it's a really interesting uh, book because it's the second letter to this rather um, misfitted church. This church is not doing so hot in Corinth. And so the second one, Paul seems to be going out of his way to say, hey guys, I know you may not want to treat me as an apostle, but I actually am an apostle. And he goes through and he does a little uh, boasting. Remember that? How Paul boasts. And it's sort of odd to hear Paul boast. But in this, he gets to what would be sort of a premier boast. It's like, hey guys, you do know that I went to the third heaven, don't you? I saw things that are, I can't even talk about. It would be unlawful for me to even say them. I mean, it's a pretty big boast. However, Paul is so humble, even in the way he delivers delivers this. It's really interesting. So we're sort of catching on to the story right here. Sounds like he's talking about someone else, but anyone who actually studies this through recognizes he's talking about himself. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I will boast. Yet of myself, I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And most of us would just sort of like to say, Paul, good for you. And let that be Paul's experience and not have it at all relate to us. And yet, we cannot escape the fact that everything Paul teaches is this. This isn't just a one-time thing where he refers to sufferings. He refers to the fact that God gives grace to endure difficulty. And that he takes pleasure in difficulty. Paul's the very one in prison who says, rejoice. Again, I'm going to tell you guys, rejoice. So this same guy is going to teach it. And we establish a doctrine in the New Testament from Paul's teachings on how to handle difficulty. So I'm going to just give a quick summary. Paul's thorn. 
So this is what he says. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Paul seems to have seen something that obviously, because of the sighting of these things, he could think of himself as pretty special. And I, I mean, most of us have to admit, I think he's pretty special. And so lest he be exalted above measure, he is given something. But who gave it to him? It's, it's another fascinating statement. Where did this come from? It's a messenger of Satan. What was it sent to do? To buffet him. Lest he be exalted above measure. It says it twice. You see, God wants to do a rich and deep and profound work in you. And why in the world would Satan and a messenger of Satan be able to have anything to do with our life is a really good question. And it really irritates a lot of people. I mean, what is that? You just want to skip right over it. It's like, I have nothing to do with that scripture. And yet, it's very, very important that we understand this. You see, thorns are an evidence of a world gone bad. They are a show of sin. In heaven, you're not going to have thorns and thistles. And so what we have is an evidence in this fallen world of something that is not right. And this world in which we live is contrary to everything we stand for. And when we appropriate the difficulties that this world brings to us properly, it actually strengthens us. You see, the devil wants to destroy Paul. But as Paul rejoices in it and accepts the fact that God is going to be made manifest in and through his weakness, Paul can actually rejoice and say to the devil, bring it on. In other words, it's the concept of manure being translated into fertilizer. None of you are attracted to manure naturally, but have you ever thought of taking out your rototiller and saying, thank you, that will really be helpful, and beginning to rototill it in. That's how Paul is thinking. That's what he's teaching us to think like. You see, most of us, when we hear the word thorn, go, ah, thorn, I don't want a thorn. I don't want Paul's thorn. Oh, boy, that's the last thing I want. Any more than you want God bringing up your name in a conversation with the devil the way he did Job. It's like, God, I appreciate how you honored Job, but please, you can honor me in a different way. (laughs) Scallops, there's your Greek word for the day. It means a thorn. So Paul had a scallops. It's a pointed piece of wood, a pail, a sharp stake, a splinter. This word can technically mean anything pointed. Paul uses this word indicating a tool of Satan wielded against him to buffet him. He calls it a scallops in the flesh or a scallops in his body. He had a pointed stick in his body. Now, we know it probably wasn't a real stick, but that's the way it felt. It was like a pointed end, like the end of a, na- a, a dagger, an end of a, of, a, of, a, of a spear. It, was, it created a, a pain, an ache of some kind in him. It was difficulty that came upon his body. We don't know what it was. Because many of us think of like an actual dagger sticking out. It's like, well, okay, that would make sense. But have you ever had it where you have a dagger in your soul? Well, that's in your body. In other words, and you're carrying it around and you're feeling an ache and it's, it's a very deep ache. I, I've carried that ache around. I know what this could mean. And saying, God, could you, could you lift this out of my life? You ever had something like that? The pains of relationships, the pains of loss, the pains of health, because health falls into this category. I mean, physical pain is a very real reality that Paul could be talking about here. However, the way we as the church can understand this is it's anything that is that sharp and pointed element that can be in our life. 
So he calls it a scallop in the, in the body, indicating something that it greatly affected him in his physical being, that tried him in his body, possibly through bodily pain and the humiliation that came from whatever physical ailment he may have been suffering from. And there you get my understanding of the man of smashed head. Okay, for any of you that have any type of physical feature that you are extra sensitive to, whether it's weight, whether it's nose, whether it's, uh, like for me, lack of whiskers uh, growing up. All the other men could shave and my face seemed baby soft. And it's like, whatever it is, those insecurities, thinness or wideness, height, no height, whatever it is, there can oftentimes be things. Well, could you imagine having a smashed head? Could you imagine your head just sort of goes like that? And you look sort of funny. And imagine entering the body of Christ, you know, and coming to visit the church in Corinth, and they're like, who's this guy? Are you serious? This is the guy that's over you? This is the guy that is like the big apostle? He's short. What do you guys call him? Shorty. <laughs> he has a smashed head. You should see his back. You see, this guy didn't look like a leading man, and yet he had to function with the authority of Christ. Could you imagine the impediment that that would be? God... Do I need to carry this in my body? Do I have to look this way? Because they laugh and I, I need to be strong to share the gospel. And wouldn't it be easier if I had a pleasant face? Doesn't that make sense to you? Wouldn't it be easier if Paul had a pleasant face? If he had a good full head of hair? Have you ever noticed how they pick newsmen? My dad used to always say it. Watch all the newsmen. They have a good head of hair. My dad was bald. That's why he was sensitive to that. <laughs> You see, newsmen have a good head of hair. People want to look at a guy with a good head of hair. Paul didn't have a good head of hair. And you definitely don't want the Jewish nose, do you? I mean, Paul just had the whole package backwards. He didn't have the look. He was the man of smashed head. Now, some people say it, was, it could have been a, an eyesight issue because of how he had to have other people write his letters, and he wrote with big letters. We don't know. I mean, the fact that the high priest struck him and he didn't know as the high priest? Come on. A Pharisee of Pharisees knows the high priest. It could have been that he was dim of vision. Could you imagine what that would feel like? He's walking around feeling he's shipwrecked and he can hardly see anything. Could you imagine? I could be imagining it too. It's like, God, could you help me here? If you're going to take me through all these crises, I'd like to be able to see better. God started his journey with an eyesight problem. Think about that. And then maybe he inherited an eyesight problem along the way. It's like, God, what is the deal with the eyesight thing? It's like, oh, well, I'm going to be your eyes. You need to trust me at a whole other level. You see, I'm going to give you visions. But I also need to allow you to be tested in these ways. The confusion over thorns, an exercise in biblical thinking and reasoning. A thorn is from the devil. It says that's what it says. Hey, I'm not making stuff up here. It's a messenger of Satan. It's an operation of the power of sin. So if it's of the devil, let's get rid of this thing. We have authority over the devil. Let's get rid of it. So that's exactly what Paul is thinking. What does he do? He prays. He prays to see this thing gone. God hates sin. God has defeated sin. Sin has no power over the believer. So uh, this thorn has no business being in your life. Do you see how you could easily understand that and come to that conclusion? In fact, I think that's a good conclusion to come to. I, in other words, I think it's actually a right conclusion. But there's more wrinkles to this that we need to understand. God is not subject to sin, nor are those who are in him subject to its power. That's a fact. That's good old-fashioned Bible preaching right there. So, yay! 
I added that in uh, for you guys. The strange injection into our cheery biblical thoughts. So we start with these cheery thoughts. Like, that is so great. That is good news. And then God adds in more understanding to us. He says, but though God proved victorious on the cross, he has left his children in a world still under sin's control. So we're not under sin's control, but we're in a world that is. Wow, that creates a little uh, stickiness. And he has left them in bodies still subject to the old laws of decay and death. Have you ever thought that through? That if we're going to get a new body, why don't we get it now? I mean, that would make more sense. Could you imagine how powerful of a Christian witness we could have if we were, like, untouchable and immortal? <laughs> Cut my head off and it, like, grows back. <laughs> like, ha! Instead, we have these old bodies that we're lugging around. And these old bodies are frail and they're subject to thorns. They're vulnerable to thorns and thistles. You step on a thistle and I guarantee you, your old body's going to tell you. You have to take your shoes and socks off to truly feel that. However... It's a very real thing that we live in. Well, keep going. Oh, I give you an emotion or a response here. Hmm. That's what you're thinking. So the first one, you're like, yay. And then you're like, hmm. And then it gets even more strange. And when we look heavenward to ask, why, dear Lord, does this bodily weakness and human frailty remain? I know some of you have had to have that thought somewhere along the line. You've asked the question. It's like, wait a minute, Jesus, you're like triumphant. You're the king of kings, lord of lords. All things are under your feet. But you sort of forgot something. I'm like left in an old body here. And my old body has some issues. Uh, It could really use that dynamic impact of your heavenly grace to give me a new body. That makes so much sense. But when you say that prayer, we see that he is not in the least bit moved with concern over this fact. He's like, no, I know. And we're thinking, are you sure? I'm just trying to help you along here, God. I think you overlooked something in the whole redemption package. It's like, I thought you purchased me a new body. He's like, I did. Well, then I think this is a good time for it. And he doesn't seem moved. He's like, no, I know best. He's not apologizing as if to indicate that this current bodily weakness in which we find ourselves was some bizarre oversight on his part. In fact, he seems to be pleased I'm going to read that again because that's a hard one to comprehend. In fact, he seems to be pleased to have us here on this darkened globe in these old bodies. Furthermore, he indicates in his word that it is through this strange old world set up that he intends to work out our salvation, to exercise our faith unto maturity, and to reveal the person of Jesus Christ for all the world to see. Get this. He has purposely rescued us this way. This is not an accident. We shouldn't fight it. We should understand this is the framework in which he has delivered us. He has delivered us from the power of sin, but we are not delivered from the land of thorns yet. We are still in the land of thorns, and we're not delivered from this body yet. So we're delivered from the power and the control of sin and selfishness over our life. This body can be set free, but it's set free in a hostile territory, in the land of thorns. And this body, I love the creation of God. The the human body is amazing. But you have to admit, I mean, I I just turned, well, I'm 47 and a half. I shouldn't try and say I just turned. That could could be considered a lie and I'd have to confess it to all of you. Okay, I've been 47 for about six months. But uh, I I was telling uh, the congregation a few years ago that I started uh, in the core training. So Aaron Vogel 
One of our church members has a great training system in the Corps. So first day we're there, and, it's, uh, and you know, I'm getting warmed up and getting excited. And he has some circuit for us. And you know, I've been an athlete my entire life, so hey, I've done circuits. So he has this front roll. At, at one point, he's, he's showing how it works. So we're supposed to go into a front roll and then run up, jump over something, and do all these fun things. So I haven't done a roll in a long time. And so I'm thinking, that'll be weird to do a front roll. I haven't done that since I was a kid. I mean, when do you do front rolls when you're an adult? And so I, I come up to my first front roll, you know, with all this exuberance. And I put my head down, and the next thing you know, I, I'm laying on the side in a heap. I'm like, what in the world? I, I, like, blacked out. When my head went down, I blacked out. I remember looking up, and Aaron's son was looking over there. And you know how you try and act like you didn't see someone? Like when they shoot an air ball, and you're like, I didn't see that. I'm sorry. Uh, that was like me. I shot an air ball. I'm like laying there like, oh. And I get up I'm like, okay, what was that? And I, I, I go around again. I get to the front row and I, same thing. I'm like laying there in a heap again. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I got so sick after that. I'm like, Ugh. And so Aaron did some research. He found out that it was my vestibular gland. Because of my age, my body is not functioning as it once did. I live in an old body, guys. And... It's only getting older, which is really frustrating. Why does it have to get older? Why can't God do it the opposite way, where we get younger? That would be weird, though, too. (laughs) Maybe I'll take that back. (laughs) He has purposely left us in the land of thorns that we might, in and through suffering, prove a genuine faith, reveal the glory of Jesus Christ, and show forth unto the heavenly realms the manifold wisdom of God. He's not shocked that we are in the land of thorns. He wants us here. He has us here on purpose, even knowing full well that his children will suffer greatly due to this fact. He has us here on purpose, and he has a gigantic smile of confidence on his almighty face. The problem is we don't have the same smile on our face. When we read that, there's two different sides of you that can respond. The natural man is maybe the way you usually respond. You're like, what? God, I don't want to go through that. And then there's a spiritual man. It's the same thing Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians. But I rejoice. You see, this very suffering, this very trial, this very issue that I'm facing in my body is what reveals his grace, his strength, his power. His strength is made perfect in and through this. He gets excited about it. We're over here going, I don't know. Oh, there's our finishing emotion. Wowzer. Now let me get this straight. We are Christians, seated in heavenly places, secured in Christ Jesus. Now that's triumphant. That is a fact. I mean, you study scripture, which we'll go through as if you're a new student. We're going to go through this in great depth and detail. We are in Christ when we believe. And therefore we are brought to the cross with him. And our old man is dealt with. We are buried with him. We are raised to newness of life with him. And we are then, we ascend with him. We boldly enter into the throne room of grace in Christ. And he takes his seat at the right hand of majesty. All things are put under his feet. Ephesians says, you're seated in heavenly places in Christ. That's where you sit now. That's why we can pray to the Father in Christ's name. We are there. We've been brought into the Holy of Holies. Extraordinary. We are Christians seated in heavenly places, secured in Christ. Listen to this, Luke 10. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now that doesn't sound like someone who's dealing with thorns. 
Actually, I want you to have a right lens for looking at this. This is someone who knows what Paul knows. You see, Paul understands this scripture and walks in it. Nothing hurt Paul. Oh, he received uh, stripes, what, 39 stripes five times? He was beaten with rods three times? He was stoned? Yeah. They couldn't touch him, could they? He just gets right back up and goes in and keeps preaching. Nothing shall by any means tear him away from his position in Christ. He is seated in heavenly places and though his body is exposed and though his body experiences all sorts of challenges and thorns, Paul is untouchable. You need to recognize your position. See, your body is down here. I know when I say you're seated in heavenly, heavenly, uh, heavenly position, you're just sort of like, what? I'm right here last time I checked. No, we don't live in a fairy tale zone. Your body is here. Okay, I'll agree with you. Your body is here. However, your spirit man, the one that is new, is seated. You see, that's why nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Why? It's because you're in Him. And nothing can defeat Christ. All things are under His feet. And you are in Him, secured. Your body's down here. His body's up there. Your spirit is in Him, but where's His spirit? In your old body down here. And that's how we live. It's the exchange life, as Hudson Taylor called it. In other words, you can't do it with your own mustard down here on this earth. So you must entrust your life, everything you are to Jesus, and find a hiding place, a refuge in Him. And when you do that, even though you are in an old body, in a hostile old world, you have the power of the Holy Spirit living in this old body to enable it to triumph in every circumstance, to rejoice, to sing songs in prison cells, to say, I love you to your torturers. In other words, that we're a Cheerio in milk. You ever tried a Cheerio in milk? Try pushing it down. Watch. Bloop. Just comes right back to the surface. And so the, the bad guys go, push it down. Bloop. The thorn comes. Bloop. Christianity. Unsinkable. They, those that believe on him, that's, that's us, will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. You see, just as much as when I talk about thorns, I'm saying truths, these are truths, and they work together. There is a triumph in the Christian life in and amidst the reality of hostility and a world that stands against everything you believe. But he, Paul, this is our little guy, mini-man, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. A deadly snake grabs a hold, a viper grabs a hold of his hand, shakes it off. You see, this is the same guy that had a thorn in his body. Isn't that interesting? He just shook this one off. What do you think he was thinking about the other one? Probably shook. It's like it didn't fall off. What is that? Why is it that sometimes in Scripture you shake and it just comes off? And sometimes it persists. And that is the great challenge of Paul's thorn. But we are still in old bodies on an old dying earth, which means our life circumstances are still vulnerable to practical thorns. We had a skunk uh, visit our, uh, uh, what's that room called? <laughs> that building called? I can't even think of it. The lake house. Boy, that was terrible. I got a thorn in the brain today. Uh, <laughs> So we had a skunk visit. I think, I don't know if the skunk is still there. I asked Sandy and she, she pled uh, the fifth on that. She doesn't know uh, if the skunk is still there, which makes us all very encouraged, doesn't it? 
But it made its presence known yesterday, right during registration, uh, which was a wonderful way to greet uh, you all, the new arrivals to the campus. We want to show off our campus. And there are practical thorns and impediments. In ministry, we deal with them all the time. However, we also know how to deal with them. It's called rejoicing. It's giving thanks. And it's also prayer. We recognize that we're in a very real battle, and we will pray to see skunks removed from our crawl spaces. We will. Isn't that a funny thought? In other words, all these things matter. We recognize that we are doing something that is contrary to the world in which we live. And the systems of this world seem to have a bent towards destroying everything we want to get accomplished. If you live an everyday normal life outside of Christ, you will have challenges. But when you enter into Christ, you have those challenges that everyone else has, plus you have bonus ones because you're a Christian. It is a strange reality. We live in hostile territory, and it is hostile to what you believe in. The king that you serve, this world stands against. Our bodies are still vulnerable to physical thorns. Our hearts and minds are still subject to the buffeting of verbal thorns. In other words, when someone yells at you, it's amazing. But you could be a Christian, you could say, you know what, I'm going to rejoice. It's amazing how you still feel it, though. When someone falsely accuses you, you could say, I'm going to leap for joy. I'm going to turn all that. God's going to change it in my life. But you still can feel it. When Jesus was on the cross, did you know that he felt it? I think a lot of us have this thought that, well, the grace of God will deaden pain. When in actuality, the pain is not the problem. The problem is allowing the pain to turn you inward and self-centered and to allow it to defeat you instead of allowing it to turn you to Christ. A thorn can be the greatest gift to your life. When Jesus received a thorn in his side, I know it wasn't called that, it was called a spear. He received a scallops in his side and what happened? He gave his life to us. When you receive a scallops, it is the delivery channel of God getting what he put into you out into this world. Do not fear these things. Paul received a thorn and we received grace in and through what he suffered. And get this. God wants it this way. Key key little phrase here. For now. This isn't the eternal uh, condition. But for whatever reason, God has assigned us this task. And there is a season of suffering. Just as David, who was anointed king of Israel, why didn't he just become king of Israel? I mean, Samuel at the behest of God Almighty, anoints him and pours a ram's horn of oil over his head. I mean, come on, every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess that David is king of Israel. And yet, it didn't happen, we don't know how long, but 10 to 12 years. And so you could call that in-between season a season of persecution. He was hunted by Salos, by Shaul, by the tall guy. He was. You see, the firstborn, the flesh in this world, The spirit of this age wants to destroy the second, wants to destroy the spirit of grace. The same thing is going to be true in your life. There's a flesh side of your life that wants to stamp out what God is trying to do. And even as I share this message, there's part of you that might want to stamp it out. It's like, I don't like that. But however, the spirit man has eyes to see the brilliance of God's ways. This is our assignment, to walk through this land of thorns for the stretch of time we have been assigned and to do it triumphantly. Will we endure thorns? Absolutely. Will thorns at times appear to have hindered us or nullified our call? Most certainly. But can the thorns of Satan hinder the calling of God upon our lives? Not on your life. In fact, it is these very thorns that God has chosen to use as his 
primary means of showing forth his power, his strength, and his glory through us, his children. If you knew that this was his primary means of showing forth his power, his strength, and his glory through us, would you be willing to think differently about it? Would you be willing to say, okay, God, my natural man does not want difficulty. My natural man does not want to deal with thorns. I do not want to be in a battle. If I had a choice between staying home with my family and you know, having some good game playing time or going out to war, which one would I choose? I'm going to choose the family one. And it's sort of the, the statement for all of us. You could choose to hole up and try and live for yourself in the time you have here on this earth. Or you could allow God to have your body and take you out to war. There's a job that needs to be done, and we have countless millions, if not billions of souls that are hanging in the balance, and you've been entrusted with the truth. Are you willing to rise up and be available to the Spirit of God to work through this vessel, even though it will come with thorns? Thorns are not from God, but thorns are used by God. Very important thing to distinguish. God is not the author of sin. However, when the enemy moves against your life, when this world conspires to destroy you, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. He leverages it. He converts that which the enemy is bringing against our life into a greater good for those that serve him. In other words, all things get converted. The, the, the spirit of grace is the ultimate conversion vehicle. He's like recycles the enemy's junk and turns it into something wonderful for us. God takes all things the enemy means for evil and turns it to good. He works all things for good to them that love him. This is including thorns, by the way, and are called according to his purpose. The big meanie's manure. Now, I mentioned manure before, so we can skip over that. But the big meanie, that's the Ludi house's name for Satan. We called him the big meanie. That's how I first taught Hudson about Satan. Figured Satan is, uh, you know, yeah, you know, didn't like saying his name in my, in my house, right? So he was the big meanie. And so the big meanie has a bunch of manure. You ever had that uh, where people in your life just have issues? And it's hard when they make their issues your issues. Life would be a lot easier if there weren't any people on this planet. You ever had that? I, I've, I've thought that many times. Ministry would be so easy if it didn't involve people. It was a whole bunch of golden retrievers. You guys are a whole bunch of golden retrievers out there. And I go, who wants a treat? Who wants a treat? You know, and they're like you know, shaking their tails. And the biggest issues are, you know, dog discipline. No, I want you to sit. When, when, when Papa says sit, you sit. Instead, I got you guys. <laughs> Humans have issues. And we can easily be carrying devices, even of the enemy's thorns. Stick them in the side of others. We can. Many of us have been a thorn in the side of people in our life. And yet, God can leverage that in a beautiful and profound way. And that's the concept of manure. None of us is attracted to manure. You know, if I were to say, you know, who wants a pile of manure today? I have some manure up here. Who would like it? None of us wants manure until you're the gardener or the farmer. And then you're like, you selling that stuff? Are you giving it away? Because I have a truck out back. If you could load it on there instead of give it to me now. Hey, I, I like the thought of this. Manure is valuable stuff when you're trying to grow life. Isn't that an interesting statement? And so the devil dishes this stuff out. Yeah, it's from the devil. And God's like, hey, you could use that. I'm going to make uh, you know, all sorts of green stuff in your life through this. And Paul's like, yeah, I'm going to take pleasure in this. I'm getting loads of manure right now from the devil. Keep it up. This is a, an amazing system. Introducing the special trampoline boots. So 
We're supposed to be like this in life. The devil hits us and we go up. Most of us, when the devil hits, we go down. Depression, despair, discouragement. Christians don't go down. Simple rule of thumb, Christians go up. That's why we've been given special trampoline boots. It's the grace of God in us. When we're falsely accused, Jesus tells us to rejoice. It's actually what he says. To rejoice, to agaleio, which means to leap. Leap! Who leaps? A Christian does. In other words, we handle the challenges of life completely different than the world around us. We are not like that world. We are like Christ. So how should we respond to the thorns in our lives? I could bet that there's probably a few thorns that uh, could be named if we were to sort of make a list of some of the current challenges that we are facing. Some of the things that we're like, God, could you remove that? And I could probably even say that some of the things that are affecting your life are not even from God. They could be enemy attack, very real enemy attack to try and sabotage and undermine your life. However, there is a way that you can appropriate this. We see that Paul prayed. It doesn't say that Paul stopped praying. In other words, I am a firm believer that we resist the devil. That we don't just say, oh, and comply with whatever he wants. Okay, come in, stick your muddy boots on my coffee table. I'll be fine with it. I'll just rejoice. No, if I know the devil wants to come into my house, I'm going to say, no, thank you. And slam the door in his face. I'm not taking any sales calls from the devil. And so as a result, I actually think we should pray. However, if something is persisting throughout that entire time where that thorn is pressing against our life, we need to be doing two things. Resisting what the devil is trying to do through it and agreeing with what God wants to do through it. So we rejoice, we give thanks, and we sing songs of praise. The devil hates that. When he brings a thorn, he wants us to go down into the dumps. He wants us to go into our prison cell and you know, curl up into the fetal position and weep. What he doesn't want is us singing a song in that prison cell. You see, when the devil manufactures a thorn, he feels really good about it. He's like, I've got a good thorn here. However, for us, we take all that the enemy is meaning for evil, even if it means a prison cell, even if it means physical harm to our body, even if it means false accusation, even if it means low bank accounts, we say, thank you, Lord. Leverage that. Leverage that to the fullest extent in me. I want to see your glory come out of this. So Paul says, rejoice always. That includes thorns. Pray without ceasing in everything, with every thorn even. Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The man of smashed head. So what you're going to find in your life is there seems to be three different types of thorns. They're thorns that persist. That's what Paul is dealing with. I would say, in my life, I have seen many things that I've stood against and resisted disappear. Literally, I've watched the devil flee many times in my life. My personal testimony would be, I've seen the power of God evidenced in resisting the devil and seeing his work canceled and nullified. And I also understand this. I understand what we could call a persistent thorn. I had, and some of you have heard this, I had for three straight years, and I'm giving a round number of three, I don't know that it was exactly 36 months, but it was right around three years, I had, don't know what else to call it other than a messenger of Satan, sent to buffet me. I don't know why I would have been exalted above measure. I never saw a third heaven. How, that's, I did, did, did go through my mind back then. I was like, God, I don't know that I'm struggling with pride right now. I don't know that this is necessary. 
However, it was like a voice that constantly hounded me and says, you're nothing. Shut up. No one wants to hear this. Give it up. Nonstop for three years. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed that that voice would shut up. I resisted it. I rebuked it. I mean, I did everything I knew to do and it kept talking and yammering. And guess what? After a period of time, I began to so clearly recognize that that was not God. I recognized who was speaking. It was the devil. And I began to be so sensitive to that voice that I ignored it. It literally was going off like a foghorn in my life constantly. And I literally was able to live with strength out of that. Every time it was speaking and I you know, ignored it, I was like strong. Now, to this day, I know that voice. So you can come up to me and go, shut up, Ludi. No one wants to hear this. And guess what? I, was like, oh, I know that voice. I, I, I know how to ignore that voice. All right. Now, what was I saying? In other words, it's, it's a profound benefit that came to my life because of that difficulty. So the fact that it persisted was really confusing to me back then. The fact that it persisted is not confusing to me now. In other words, it's, it's not there anymore. I don't have that now. But I did have it. I had it for a season of my life. And it was, I know it's going to sound strange, a gift, even though it didn't come from God. God turned it and converted it into a blessing and a strength point in my life. The man of no head, a thorn unto death that was removed. Sometimes we could call it a thorn that is unto death. You know that every one of the disciples died a martyr's death. We don't know exactly how John died. As far as we know, it was old age or he's still alive. There's that legend uh, that exists because of how it reads in Scripture. However, Paul is a blade that is coming down. Talk about a thorn in the flesh. It's like the guillotine blade, but this is probably not a guillotine. This is some kind of sword. It's a blade, and it's a sharp one. And it's going to strike his body. And that thorn will persist unto death. Paul died because of that thorn. Now, most of us are not weeping over that. We know that he said to die is gain. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. There will be thorns that persist unto death, but they're still, they still don't harm us. They still can't conquer us. They still can't separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. They still cannot hurt us. No matter what we face, God wins. And the one that I think is also important in the midst of this to reiterate and bring to the top column is we live triumphant in these bodies. Though we may face persistent issues, though we may die a martyr's death and rejoice, most of us need to understand the man of bitten hand. The thorn that proved the divine authority and mission of the apostle Paul unto the savages. Paul has a job to do. He needs to preach in Rome. He needs to stand before Caesar. He is not going to die of a viper. You need to know that too. You have a job to do on this earth. And though the thorns will try and buffet you, laugh at them. This will not stop the forward progression of God in and through my life. You need to walk forward with boldness, knowing that you are a son or a daughter of the king of all kings, and thorns will not hinder your forward progression. You have a job to do. Thorns and thistles, they don't feel good. I'm guessing that didn't feel good on Paul's hand. And yet it never mentions him crying about it. He just shakes it off. I love that scene. I just think that's a great story. And they're all like, whoa. He's like, yeah, what's the big deal? I have a job to do. I have to preach in Rome. The triumphant mindset of the believer. So here's the triumphant mindset. I will accomplish my purpose. 
here on earth. I want you to begin to think that way. Why? Well, you're a child of the Most High God. The Spirit of God dwells inside of you. Greater is he that is in you than uh, he that is in this world. No weapon and fashion against you shall prosper. Hey, don't you recognize who you are in Christ Jesus? And God has assigned you a task. Yes, you're in an old body in an old world. But even though you're in an old body, that old body will be stabilized and sustained all the way through, even though it has aches and pains and thorns maybe sticking in it at times. However, even though you're in an old world, that old world will not be able to stop that message of the gospel that God has assigned you to give. Some people become Christians and die that same day. Some people are Christians and they die of old age. I can't tell you how it's going to work for you. All I can say is what God has assigned you to, the devil is unable to hinder and sabotage if you abide in Christ and walk in him. You will fulfill your mission. No thorn can stop me to live as Christ. There's another thing you can ponder. I will eventually come to my last day and finish this race. And by the way, that's not a negative. How that has been turned into a negative, I'm not exactly sure. We are so afraid of dying. We are so afraid of losing this one little gap of time on earth. However, the mindset of the early church was the exact opposite. Did you know that the thing they cherished more than anything else was to die a martyr's death? They wanted the martyr's crown. They, they knew, they esteemed it so highly, those that laid down their lives for Jesus, that they had a problem in the early church. Isn't this a funny statement? They had a problem in the early church. They all wanted to die martyr's deaths. So I, my mental picture is that you know, some Christian would come up to a Roman soldier and go, poke him and go, I'm a Christian, and, and run. <laughs> I don't know how it worked. However, the, the elders had to issue an edict that said, hey guys, Jesus loves the blood of the martyrs. He does. But he also wants you to live for him. I mean, that was the problem. Now we're the exact opposite. We're like, I just want to live. I don't want to die. I want to live. And, and we need the edict from the elders that says, hey, it's great that you want to live for Christ. But did you know that God also desires to spend you? And to give up your life the way he did his own son, the way he did his apostles, the way he's given up the lives of men and women throughout history that were willing to suffer for him to bring forth the glory of his majesty unto the nations. So here's what you say. My time in the land of thorns will end. Praise God to die is gain. Uh, some of you know that ache. I've had that ache many times, especially when the thorns persist. God... I want to go home. I mean, there's part of me that's like, I don't want to go home. I don't want to leave my wife. I don't want to leave my kids. I don't want to leave uh, my ministry. I don't want to leave the church I love. But oh, to die is gain. I want to be with Jesus. That's what my life is all about. There's nothing negative about death when you're a Christian. And so if a thorn persists unto death, praise him for it. I tell you what, your, your final breath is not going to be a moan. I mean, it's literally your first breath in the new heavenly air. I have a hunch you're going to be pretty happy in that breath. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son Jesus to the land of thorns to empty thorns of their power to harm us. You need to recognize that thorns have no power over you. Will you feel them? Sure. But they have no power over you. That power has been depleted, emptied. So therefore, though we still live in hostile territory, in a world that still seems to boast of the devil's power, he actually has no power over you. 
And nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are seated in heavenly places. Remember that. All things are under his feet, even though in this realm they defy it and they deny it. David was rightfully anointed king, even though Saul and all his uh, compatriots said, Oh, we don't acknowledge David. He still was king. And soon he will be established as king and all the knees of Israel will bow. And the same is true of Jesus Christ. We are in the season in between. He has been anointed as king, and yet the world has not bent its knee yet. But we, the believers in Jesus Christ, or what would be known in the Old Testament as the mighty men, we are the ones that side with Jesus and say, I'm with him unto the death. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, to trample on thorns, people. You laugh at them, even if they persist. It's like, eh. I'm just going to rejoice out of this. Is it a trial? Is it real? Does it hurt? Oh, yeah. I can personally testify of that ache that comes from the difficulties of engaging with a hostile world. It is painful. But, whoa, the grace of God that is made manifest in and through that difficulty. If any of you have ever gone through difficulty, you understand the overwhelming grace that meets you there as a Christian. Don't forget it. And don't forget it in your forward thoughts, too. There's a reason why in Proverbs 31 it says, you know, the, the woman of virtue, she smiles at the days to come. Why, why would anyone be able to smile at the days to come? Don't you know that you're in an old body in an old world? How could you smile at the days to come? You see, that virtuous woman is the bride of Christ. In the fullest enunciation of it, we're the ones that can smile at the days to come. Why? It doesn't matter what the enemy does. God wins. God will triumph through all these matters. He has in his own way, in his economy, in his even sense of humor, has kept us in these old bodies, funny looking things, with smashed head. And he's assigned us a task in an old dying world that is marked by thorns and thistles. What? Ow, that hurts. God, why am I still here? Have you ever thought that? Why doesn't he just take me home? Because there is, this is part of his plan. Not only does it refine us and sanctify us and prove our faith and grow us up unto maturity, but it also reveals his glory. We can now walk on thorns, be tried by thorns, be mentally buffeted by thorns, be pierced by thorns, and even die due to the bludgeoning of thorns. But these thorns cannot hurt us. But rather, these thorns are being used by God to build us, strengthen us, and refine us. We, even though they don't come from God, can thank God for thorns. The thorn remover always wins. Every thorn will prove to be under his power and control. Just watch. In the end, you'll see it. Every thorn is under his power and his control. Every thorn will prove to only have brought about life in and through the man and woman of faith. Every thorn will be removed, some prior to death and some by death. Every thorn will bend its knee and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So how should we pray? This is a very important thing. I do not want to diminish your faith in the power of God to heal, in the power of God to move, and to deal with thorns in your life just because some may persist. Because that's what could happen. It's like, oh, this maybe is a thorn that persists, so I'm not going to pray. I want you to pray with the authority of Jesus Christ. Paul's praying. I want to pray like Paul did. Paul prayed and people were healed, and then he prayed and his own thorn wasn't removed, at least right away. It could have been. It never says that it, never, that it persisted unto death. I have no idea. I can't even make a comment on that. All I can say is I know what it says. He resisted it. He prayed. 
He prayed for this to be removed. How should we pray? We pray fervently that every thorn be removed. And with full confidence, we keep asking and asking and asking, for we have full confidence that he will indeed remove every thorn. Because why? It's his will to remove the thorn. Isn't that a fascinating thought? It is his will. It's just when he does it is God timing. God timing is different than ours. And we submit to the undeniable fact that God knows better than we do how to leverage the benefit of the thorn in our lives. We ask that God receive his full due and that the maximum possible glory would be revealed in and through this thorn. No more fear of the bully thorn. Thorns have been bullying many of us around as Christians. Enough of that. You don't need to fear the thorn. The thorn has no power over you. The truth will set you free. The many forms of Satan's thorns in infirmities. This is the list Paul gives. So in infirmities, which is the concept of the body literally struggling in its health. So it's upon the body. In needs. How about upon finances? You ever had a thorn in your finances? Uh, yeah. As a man, those are the ones. I, I don't know if you were to say, which, which thorn would you rather have, Eric? That's a really tough one to ask because whenever you have a thorn, like if it's in your finances, it's like, I think I'd rather have it in my body. But then if you had it in your body, you'd be thinking, I would take a thorn in my finances any day of the week. Grass is always greener when you're dealing with thorns. It's greener over there. That trial over there always looks a little better because you're tired of your trial. In reproaches and persecutions, well, how about upon your thoughts, upon your reputation, upon your relationships? Have you ever dealt with those? Boy, heaven, we're not going to have thorns in our thoughts, our reputation, and our relationships. Oh, bring it on, God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But right now, we live in old bodies, in an old dying world. And we will be engaged with thorns. God has given us all that we need for life and godliness. He's given us all the equipment to walk through these things well. In distresses, well, so that would be like your circumstances, your distresses. He was shipwrecked, uh, I don't remember how many times it was, three times. Shipwrecked, I mean, I, just being shipwrecked once, just the thought of being shipwrecked would keep most of us off of a boat. I mean, uh, can we be shipwrecked? I don't want to be shipwrecked. That's a distress in your life situation. Why would God allow Paul, the apostle, to be shipwrecked? Why would he allow Paul to be stoned? Why doesn't he just knock the guys over? They pick up a rock and the rock knocks them over. And they're like, whoa, supernatural. God's protecting Paul. Instead, he actually gets stoned. What do we do with that? You see, we want to avoid all difficulty in our life. We think in our North American worldview that the absence of suffering and the absence of trial is more spiritual. That it shows a greater faith. When the exact opposite is true. It's how you endure trial that shows the greatest faith. How you endure thorns. How you process. How you rejoice in and through them. It is not the acceptance of the devil's maneuver against your life. You resist, but you see God convert every bit of it. Paul's bewildering statement about his own bodily suffering. He says God's grace is sufficient for this thorn. So, you need to appropriate that too. You know what? Even the word sufficient. I remember Charles Spurgeon saying it this way. The word sufficient is such a huge word. See, when we hear it, we know it means, oh, it's enough. That's what we would think. It's enough to cover sort of the damages. It's like, oh, someone stole $1,000 from you, and then God's like, well, I can give you $1,000. That should be sufficient to cover. No, no, no. This isn't like equal amounts that are being traded. You get a thorn, and God gives you grace that is sufficient. It's like Charles Spurgeon uses the illustration of a little fish in the ocean. 
And the, and the fish going, am I going to have enough water? Am I going to have enough water to swim in? And, and God says, yeah, fishy, a little fishy. Uh, my, my water will be sufficient for you. That's the concept. It is so massive for us. God's grace is sufficient for everything we could ever face. His strength is made perfect in the weakness this thorn is preying upon. So yes, you feel weak. You feel vulnerable. Hey, the devil keeps playing that game. You keep turning heavenward. Guess what? God's strength will be proven in and through it. Paul gladly boasted in his thorn because it was the avenue through which the power of Christ rested upon him. Paul took pleasure. It's the word it says. He took pleasure in whatever form the thorn might take. He applied the thorn lesson to every thorn he might ever face. Maybe we should do the same. I realize you are probably quite excited to receive your next thorn. See, what, a message like this doesn't necessarily fully convert us to think positive thoughts about thorns. But what it does, it sets you up to begin to process, like, how am I viewing thorns? Am I trying to avoid pain and difficulty at every turn? Or am I willing to submit to God and say, God, your grace is sufficient for whatever, whatever you walk me through? I don't need to fear anything I will ever face because your grace will meet me. I will never be a fish out of water. I will always have the sufficiency of your supply to endure and to go through and to thrive in whatever I face. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So I realize you're probably quite excited. You're thinking, I want to take pleasure in a thorn too. You will not need to request thorns of God. This is a really fascinating thought. You don't need to go to God and say, God, can I have a thorn? For he doesn't bring them. Rather, you live in a world full of thorns. Therefore, you will have no shortage of opportunity to realize this great grace in Christ Jesus. We're Christians, and we live in the land of thorns. And the land of thorns seems very proactively aimed towards getting those thorns in us. That's the world in which we're engaged in. I'm not politically correct. It's not that I'm trying to be politically incorrect. It's just that the more I serve Jesus, the more incorrect I get with the world. So I just want to forewarn you. It is not a choice politically, like I just have some political worldview that I want to be opposite the world. I want to be with Christ. And being with Christ, especially in a world that is engaged in anti-Christian behavior, it causes more and more of a divide. And with every step in the direction of Christ, it makes me more vulnerable to pain. It just does. I accept that. Okay, now I've worked through this for many years, so I accept the fact that difficulty comes as I serve Christ. That I have chosen to pick up my cross and follow him. Crosses have splinters in them. Thorns. They're not the most pleasant things. They're a device of torture and death. And, and Jesus says, you got your cross, didn't you? Did all of you get your cross? Did all of you pick up your uh, device of torture and death? Why would I want that? I don't want to leave. I don't want to have that. Yeah, but you need that. You see, you need to realize that that's how we walk this narrow way. We walk this narrow way bearing in this body, this old body in an old dying world, a cross. And if we do it well, the way that God has assigned us to by the power of the Holy Spirit, God gets glory out of it. The world will, in fact, be changed. The reason the world is not really changing in North America is most of us do not want a cross. So we, we esteem Christ's cross. 
We esteem Peter's cross. He was crucified upside down. We, we, we esteem Paul losing his head for the glory of God. I mean, praise God for such examples. But Jesus says, hey, did you see that example? Follow it. Pick up your cross. Uh, you don't need to be scared. Natural man, scared. New man, filled with the Holy Spirit. Bold, courageous, full of joy, expectancy. God will carry you. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.